Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. question here is, um, if we are to be settled in Christ, how do we deal with real life, right? <laughs> and, and real life means sex uh, and romantic desire, um, means wanting children, means family p- pressure, means peer pressure. Mm. Yeah. 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 Do you want to take it home? Yes. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I, I appreciate that question. It's a, the person asking that question, if I, if I answer you simplistically, you are going to say, oh, no, no, that's, that's not the answer. So if I said something like, oh, when you, when you accept Christ and you settle in Christ, all of those things just vanish away. Like, you're not going to want to have sex. Or you're not going to want to have children. Or your family actually will start to not, they will no longer, Jesus Christ is God's going to speak into their ear, and they will no longer put pressure on you. You, you say, that, that, is, that seems ideal, but that's so stupid. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? No. So, but then if I told you, because of that, that really Jesus Christ, being settled in Christ is not really the answer. You would say, I don't think you should be a pastor. And you'll be right. In other words, what I'm saying is that um, what I'll tell you now is it's not simplistic. The issue of Jesus being the answer is a simple answer. Um, but it's not a simplistic answer. God never ever promises us that he just totally would always change our circumstances. What God does for us is that he builds us for those circumstances. And that's a far better and a more enduring thing. You see, the Bible says the purpose of God is to conform us into the image of Christ, not to take away our circumstances. So the issue is not whether these circumstances that you don't like are taken away. The issue is, are you going to be built up to face those circumstances? So what happens in life when I don't get everything I want? That's the broader question you're asking. Because even if you get all of those things, there are still other issues that you will face. I think being satisfied in Christ, learning how to be satisfied in Christ is the issue. When you learn how to be satisfied in Christ, you will, honestly, the pressure from family becomes less. The reason why you buckle under the pressure of family is, for many of us, what our family says to us matters more than what God says to us. That's just the truth. If somebody on the road today comes and tells you, you're not, you're ugly. Even the last time you looked in the mirror, you said, man, I look fly. If someone on the road comes and tells you that, that you don't know, how would you, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't even, you would ignore the person. If your spouse told you you were ugly, that would hit home. Even if 500 people on the road told you that you were beautiful. Am I right? So how much do you value God? 
and what God has said about you, what God has given you in Christ. If God says, look, I got you. In Jesus, you are truly settled. And here, look at, when you meditate on Christ, when you see that God has secured you for all eternity, when you see that God is building you up to be someone that can face circumstances, if you value that and you value the voice of God, more than these people constantly telling you, how about this person, how about that person? If you value that, at some point, it will vanish. But at some point, you know what you do? You would have the courage to say, Daddy, Mommy, I love you. Fantastic, great. I don't want to have this conversation again, and I mean it. I don't know why some people are too scared of doing that. You're an adult, and you can't say that to your parents. That is not disobeying your parents. That's not being disrespectful to them. That is honoring your parents because you are saying it respectfully. But at the same time, you are trying to say, I don't want you to put the kind of pressure that God isn't putting on me. God has got this sorted out. So please stop putting this pressure on me. I wouldn't come for this event again if you keep doing all of that. So you can confidently face that on the desires that you have. The Bible also doesn't say to us that all the desires that we have will always be fulfilled. No. Because even at the moment, right, it's the fact that you want to have sex. You started having that feeling at 18. And you didn't want to get married at 18, did you? Right, did you? So that was a desire you had. It wasn't fulfilled. And so even now, if God says you are 29, you want to have sex, you can't have sex, what you do is that you look for God's strength to resist the devil. And not just, oh, praying and just waiting for one strength to come. Build the practices that develop you in Christian maturity that enable you to resist when those things come. And those are some of the things I said. The Bible says that those who retreat in the day of adversity because their strength is what? It's small. That means we don't develop our spiritual strength. So distractions, temptations, being around the wrong people, they make us weak. They make us very weak. And so when those desires come, those desires will overwhelm us. The difference between somebody whose desires or temptations overwhelm them and the one that doesn't is because that one is spiritually strong. So I don't have any magical answers to give you because God gives us simple answers. Read your Bible prayer a day. Ensure that you're in healthy church and you're serving there. Fill your mind with things that strengthen you. Ward off the pressures because you value Christ more. If you do these things, if you form a habit of doing it, you'll be less tempted, you'll be less pressurized than just any other person who is waiting to get married. Thank you. Um, There's one here. It says, society seems not to accord respect to single people. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Single people are not trusted with a high office. How can you overcome this? And then he gives an example. I know an elder... I know a very well accomplished man that is getting married because he he's running for a certain public office. Hmm. Vote out APC and PDP. <laughs> I mean, they're the ones that have set up the structure. Um, listen, there are sometimes that some problems are so big so, um, um, in society, right? There are systemic problems. It would be very foolhardy of me to say. Here is how you solve it. If, you can, if, if, if I could solve the, the societal problem that we have with lack of respect for single people, I would have done it since, right? It's, it's because it's very difficult. That's why there are people trying to bring it down. The system is fighting back. So I would say this. You have to start from 
from, from the singular. Rather than first and foremost, even though I do, I do believe that structures should be brought down, um, system, oppressive structures should be brought down, but you're never going to bring the oppressive structures without people who are not, who don't bulk under those, um, those structures. If you don't have people that don't, are not as affect, affected like other people from those structures, you will never bring it down. So the society doesn't respect you. Do you respect yourself? That is, do you feel the same way about yourself that the society actually says? So you, are, you, you guys, most of you are single here. Are you feeling comfort because you are with other single people here? But when you are around married people, you just feel like, if I bring in my own opinion now, you know, they'll say, what do you know? Are you not single? And if you two just keep quiet and just say, it's true, Sha, me too, what do I know? You see, at that point, you're actually accepting it. You can't do, sometimes we can't do much about what's going on on the outside here. We can only do what's going on on the inside. So you have to learn to respect yourself. Not respect yourself because you think you're all right, but respect yourself because, one, you're a human being created in the image of God. Two, you're a human being that Christ has died for. You don't, if you only build your respect based on what people say about you, that always changes. People are so fickle. Today they like you, tomorrow they're insulting you. So you can't build your self-respect based on something that keeps changing. You need to build your self-respect based on something that doesn't change. And the fact that God puts an infinite value on you because you are created in his image. The, God, the fact that God has chosen you, called you out, Christ died for you, that is worthy of self-respect. Therefore, if you are in a situation where people are saying, don't speak because you are this, don't do this because you are that, if you feel it is something that you should lend your voice to, please do respectfully disagree with them. Now, don't respectfully disagree with them and just speak and say something stupid because you want to be, you want to be heard. That, speak to something. If you know you have a well-formed opinion about it, speak to it. But you would only speak to it with courage because before you got there, you had already accepted what Christ um, says about you, that Christ values you, and therefore you respect yourself. And that's how we push against society. And I think if we have more and more people like that um, flourishing in our society, as we speak about that, that is what pushes the system and eventually pulls the system down. Thank you very much, um, Pastor Femi. I, I would take this question and then maybe one or two from the floor. Um, this person asks, does it mean that um, having a hard time dealing with heartbreak means that you're restless? So I think this refers to the first session where you had a table out for like examples of people that are restless. So mm -hmm. would this be something you would put in that slide? Dealing, having a hard time when these men, you know, or these women <laughs> do what they do, you know? <laughs> uh, the answer would be yes and no. That is, it depends. One of the things I love about Christianity is the honesty, the honesty about our human condition. It doesn't tell us to pretend. Um, you know, I don't know how many of you have read the Psalms recently. Don't you just love the fact that the Psalms, the people there are honest. God, you are forsaking me. God, you, you know, this. They say those things. Um, and God allows that to be put in the Bible because God, in some ways, God 
values that, that we are honest with him. Many of us will say that you didn't have a good relationship with your parents because you say this, my parents don't know me. What do you mean by they don't know you? It means they don't know your deepest thoughts. Why don't they know your deepest thoughts? Because you never felt encouraged to be able to express it to them. Whereas the Bible wants you to know that in relationship with God, the Father, that you can come to him and you can tell him your deepest fears. You can go to Jesus because he is a high priest that can be felt with the feeling of infirmities because he too has gone through grief. And so the Bible never, ever, ever says, as Christians, we should never grieve. Never. Just never. Any kind of Christianity that tells you, um, just focus on positive thinking. Don't have negative or whatever around you. It's just false. It's not, it's not the way the Bible is constructed. And at the same time, though, so if, if you're having a, so first answer is if you're having a problem with heartbreak, then if you're having a problem with heartbreak, no, that doesn't mean, it doesn't automatically mean that you are restless in that regard. However, when you get to something like 1 Thessalonians 4, where Paul is seeing people who are grieving over death, because that's what we should be doing, not saying that we should have a celebration of life and having a party. We should grieve when someone dies, even if the person is 105, because God did not create us to die. So we should grieve. But then Paul says, however, there is a kind of grief that shows you a Christian, and there's a kind of grief that shows you are not. That a Christian grieves with hope. A Christian grieves with hope. Now, in the context he was talking about, because they were grieving about people that died, he says, Are you, don't you understand what the gospel achieves? Eventually, the gospel achieves a resurrection. So these people that you've lost momentarily for some time now, grieve because you've lost them momentarily. But don't grieve into a situation where you will never, you, you are now inconsolable and you will never break out of it. He says if you do that, you grieve as those, as though you are those who do not what? Have hope. So if you are suffering heartbreak now because that person broke your heart, grieve because of the relationship, because of the hopes you had with that relationship, because it meant something to you. But if you start giving as though I've lost the love of my life, I can never, ever get anybody, you know, you take rose petals, you don't say he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me not, he loves me not, he loves me not. <laughs> if you start behaving like the person in the book of Ecclesiastes, that life was only going to be ever lived with this person. Ecclesiastes said life under the sun. But it was only, oh, oh. So three years after, you are still a broken person. You trust nobody because of that relationship. Men are all just horrible. Women are just, they just break your heart. If that is the view you have, you no longer smile. You can't pick yourself up again. Then you're a restless wanderer. So the difference is not whether or not we can't have a broken heart, we can't grieve over the broken heart. It's whether after grieving over the broken heart, we can come back again. You know why? As a Christian, though they've broken your heart, Jesus has given you a new heart that can never be broken. As a Christian, though that person has rejected you and forsaken you, Jesus Christ said, I will never leave you or forsake you. If you continue to grieve as though you have no more hope because that person jilted you, guess what? Guess what? You value that person's relationship more than your relationship with Christ. Your relationship with Christ is secure 
So why grieve as though that has been taken away from you? No, it's because the most important thing in your life has been taken away from you. You are going away from the presence of God. You are going somewhere else. Thank you very much. Um, um, so we're going to have a roaming mic now. If you, if you want to have a question. So I'll go back to um, Auntie Lola <laughs> and Genesis 2.18, where he said, um, um, and God saw it was not good for man to be lonely. Like, that reading for that, and he says, and he created, like, a woman for him and everything. So, like, is that, because that was God's response to man's loneliness, so does it mean, <laughs> like, human beings, like, are, are, that's, that's the cure to our loneliness? Because in Eden, the Bible says that the presence of God was there. So does it mean it wasn't enough for Adam? Like, why was he still lonely? And if he was still lonely, why was he a woman that was the solution to his loneliness? Any other question Any from other the floor, question? please? Just, we'll take one more from the floor. Okay, I can answer that one. All right. Well, I like the way you view that. Let, let's, take it, let's take it even one step further. If that was the case, if that was the case and we just look at it exactly like that, I hope you get the question. Yeah. That it seems like God's response to the loneliness was to get him married. Right? Actually, I'll say no. That wasn't just it. It wasn't just for that you should get married, but one is this. Only men can be lonely. And then two, the, 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 the secret to, lonely, uh, to going over loneliness is wives. It's not husbands to wives. Because that's what the text shows. It was a guy that was lonely, and it was a woman that was given for his loneliness. So I'm saying that the passage has to be understood a little bit more exhaustively. That is, it is true. So that's why I say marriage is actually part of God's plan for humanity. It is part of God's plan for humanity, but it doesn't enter into eternity. So marriage serves a particular purpose. Jesus says, in the new world, in the panangentia, in the regeneration of all things, when he's seated on the throne, that is, in the kingdom of God now fully fulfilled, there will be no marriage. There will be no giving into marriage. In other words, marriage was to serve a purpose. What was the purpose? Part of the purpose was God created with, he, cre he created alone. He created alone two people, right? He only created two people. One, dust of the ground, breath of, uh, breath of, um, breath of life into his nostrils, and he became one. The second, put that guy to sleep, took a rib out, and then he created after that, Adam made love to his wife, and, the, and she gave birth to his son, Cain. So part of the way they were going to fill the earth was to have children. And, part of, and the way God has said we should have children, even though that's not always the way we do it, but the best place to have children is in a legal, monogamous marriage between 
a man and a woman. You have to really define it very clearly now because <laughs> it's being redefined in all places, all right? So that is one of the things that God has given to humanity, and it's trying to fulfill its purpose. Adam and Eve were created perfect, but God's creation, when he says it was good, it was very good, it was not complete. How do I know? So when you now go to Revelation 21, verse, uh, Revelation 21 and 22, when we see a picture of what God wanted, we no longer just see two people. We see a new creation of multitudes of people worshiping God, dwelling with God forever. The way those people came is twofold. Is that many people had children and people continue to have children. That's one. But if it was only about that, then there will be no one in hell. And in Revelation 20, it shows that many of the people that were given birth to, because they rejected God, they were not going to be part of the new creation. So the second way they are part of that is that they are born again. So my point is this, that if you just look at that passage and say, oh, this is the response to loneliness, first of all, you have to micromanage the passage and say, the singleness was the only form of loneliness. I don't think so. I think you have in Adam and Eve, sometimes Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, there's so much that it's saying. There's so much it's saying in particular. That is, there was actually an Adam and there was actually an Eve. But there's also so much that it's saying generically. That is, Adam represents humanity in the way we do things. So that Adam actually sinned. Like Adam, the man, he sinned. But the basis of Adam's sin, for instance, this is what I now mean generically, is the way is the basis for all sin. He broke God's law because he wanted to be God. So when we see Adam being alone, uh, humanity, we can say, okay, human beings not being part or socially, um, 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 not socially connected to other human beings, is a cause of our loneliness, not just. And so the cure is not just tying to yourself together to another human being in a legal marriage. It is the absence of any kind or not just the absence or things in our lives that push us from having social connections to other people. That is loneliness, not just the absence of marriage. And that's why I said you can see that because Jesus himself was not a lonely person even though he was single. Paul himself, why do you, you know that part of, you know Paul's letters, we... We always end the letter one chapter before. You know why? When you get to the end, all those people that is listing, what do I have to do with that one? That one doesn't apply to me. But you know why those lists are important? Even though Paul was single, he was trying to show you that in his ministry and in his life, he was not alone. He has all these people that he's worked with, that have, that have uh, supported him, that have cared for him, that have nourished him. And so that's what I mean by that. that. That passage, in one hand, you can see what he's doing specifically with Adam, but it's also representative of what we see that he does with humanity. And we can start to see that as we read through the scriptures. All right. Okay. There's another good one here. I need more understanding about this statement. Settled people make the best decision. Fruitful people live out the best decision. I think it was something you said. Yeah, it was right at the end. I did? 
Sometimes just see what comes to your head. <laughs> if it sounds good, then you preach well. I'll say, go back and listen to the message now. <laughs> Settled people make um, uh, the best decisions, and then fruitful people um, live out those decisions. How many, how many of you um, under pressure? How many of you under pressure? So many things going on. There's noise on the TV. Somebody is shouting in your ears. Um, there's no light, you know. Um, you're a bit irritable, all of those things. How many of you make most of your life's decisions, best decisions? How many of you have not, how many of you make your life's decisions in those moments and it has always worked out for you? Most times when we want to make a decision, quite often, and especially when it's a big decision and somebody, what you say, if someone is putting pressure, you say, please just give me some time, isn't it? Just give me some time. I, I need to be able to clear my head. Why? Because if you clear your head, you feel that you can think more straight, more, um, you can think more clearly. You can take into consideration a lot of factors. But that clearing of your head and giving you time to think, what you're basically saying is, I need to be more settled in my mind to be able to look at this thing critically and so that I can take the best decision. Amen. And so that's what I mean, that if we are unsettled spiritually, particularly, you know, if we are settled spiritually, you will end up making bad decisions. In counseling people that have been divorced or are about to be divorced, do you know the one thing they tell me most of the time? They say, I, had, I saw signs that this thing would not work out. They say, the signs. I said, oh, why didn't you react to those signs? They said, at that time, I didn't have the ability. You know why they didn't have the ability and why they couldn't recognize those signs for what they were? They were not settled spiritually. They wanted this thing more than they wanted anything else. That is a sign that you are not settled spiritually. When we are not settled spiritually, we are ripe to constantly make very bad life's decisions. Now, if we are settled spiritually, then we have the platform to be able to, because when the Bible, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Here's what he's not saying. Come to, you, come to me and I will make you relax. Rest is not necessarily, sorry, rest is not relaxation. Jesus was the most spiritually rested person that has ever existed. And you know what Jesus said about his ministry, his life? He said, as my father works, so I am working. When you are rested, you can do the best work. Jesus was the most fruitful person. Somebody in the, over, on the age of, um, he only, some of us here are above the age of Jesus when he died. You know that. I don't know what you've um, achieved in your lifetime, but here's what I know you've not achieved. You've not saved the whole world. You've not saved the world, have you? Yeah, Jesus was pretty fruitful in his life. The reason he was very fruitful is because he was very at rest. He was at rest. And so the most settled people, you know, are the most fruitful people. Why do you think um, CEOs, um, let's say of big institutions, except their names are Mark Zuckerberg, and I don't even know how this works, but they have their own offices. 
Because CEOs are taking the biggest decisions in the company, right? The last thing they need is this open plan where everybody's just rushing around and unsettling them. My point being is that if you want to be fruitful, you need to be settled. But then the things that come out of somebody who is settled, who is taking decisions, who is um, saying, I should plan for this, I shouldn't take that, I should do this, the people that come up with the best results in their lives are the people who are already rested. And remember I said it's not relaxation. It's spiritual rest. If we are in that place of spiritual rest, we are not craving over things to satisfy us. Because everything you crave to fully satisfy you that is not God, guess what? It's false. It will always disappoint you. And once those things disappoint you, you reduce your ability to be fruitful in life. So settled people make the best decisions. And it is fruitful people that live out the implications of those decisions. Any Clara? I wanted to take this question because it came in by text and I didn't want to waste their phone time. Um, so only WhatsApp, there's three. Uh, <laughs> I think it came in by text, All actually. Right. Um, so what is the best age for a guy to enter a relationship no matter his status? Now, I felt like I knew the answer to this one. It's like it's around, you know, just, I, I don't know. It's, it's around 20. Seven. You know, 27, exactly. No matter his status, no matter. So if you are not in, if you are <laughs> below 27 and you are in a relationship, <laughs> you should, you just you break it off, it, right? right? Or if you are in a relationship with somebody, that, a guy, that, is it a guy or a girl? A guy. For okay, a because guy. girls is 25. Oh, okay, I see. If you're older, what do you do? If you're you oh, older. You're still, you're still within. Yeah, you're okay, within. Okay, you can start a relationship. Now I'm you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, his second question was, will all relationships... Oh, no, that's not the answer to that question, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> You're no, moving no, on to the second. No, no, all I right. just asked together because it was one, one okay. person who, who yeah. asked it. Will all relationships end in marriage? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would answer that Thank one. You. Thank you very much. If yes, how? If no, like how long to okay. cut it? Or is it a waste of time? So I think the real mm. question is, how long do you have to be in a relationship before you just cut it When off? are you prepared yeah. age-wise for a relationship? Yeah, so and then, then yeah. how long before you know this relationship is, is a waste of time? Yeah. So it's really about duration, uh, duration in terms of time, age, you know, and all yeah, that. Yeah, it's a really good question when you put it Yeah, it, it, it is. It is. Uh, yeah, I'm helping you. Yeah, um, oof. I don't know. I don't think it, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. You can't, you can't um, use age. I know 33-year-olds that should not be in, in relationships. <laughs> honestly, honestly. Chibweze was, <laughs> so Chibweze was, when I met Chibweze, he was um, 30, 32, 33. He should not have been in relationships. I know 40-year-olds that should not be in relationships. I'm serious. So it's not first and foremost about age. Now, if you say age-wise, age-wise, is this person eligible? Of course, once you are 21, 20, I, I mean, age-wise, you are eligible. But age is not the only factor that determines whether some, this person should be in a relationship, right? 
Honestly, I'm, I'm more concerned about people not going to hurt other people in relationships. And I'll tell you, one of the ways that you know that this person should or should not be in a relationship is people that go into, last year, uh, we had this track that we went through. So we had four talks. So we spent, this time we're just doing two, right? We had four talks. And we, we, we structured those talks in a way to show how you, you, know, you can get um, a single should live their life and go into a fruitful relationship. So I think the first talk was the fulfilled single, being fulfilled as a single person. The second talk was the preparing single. Stop asking the question, who is the right person for me? Are you the right person for someone? Then the third was the searching single. How do you know whether this person is the right person for you? How do you know how to pick the right person? And then the fourth was the dating single. That is, now I'm in this relationship. How do we ensure, how do we live out this relationship in a way that honors God but also will make it right. Now, one of the things I said is don't enter into dating relationships that, that is not purposeful. Because the Bible doesn't say anything about dating, I don't think that means it forbids dating or that means it commands dating. But what it means is that dating, even though I approve of it, but dating is it's not a means in itself. Dating is not an end in itself. Dating should be a means. The Bible speaks about singleness. The Bible speaks about marriage, right? But be, obviously that implies that there's something in between there. But whatever that in between is, it has to, it, it serves a purpose. So if you're in a, an, a purposeless relationship, which is basically, I like you, you like me. For the sole purpose that I like you, you like me, and we're both adults, we should be in a relationship for the sole purpose that we like each other. We're not sure where this thing is going to. In fact, if you start asking questions about where it's going to, that is part of the problem. So if you enter that kind of relationship, there is a problem there. And that's when you guys just keep going on, dating each other, and we don't know where it's going. Very soon, one of the people there is going to start saying, ah, you know, I swear the lady, because you don't want to propose. But you now start trying to help the person hint. But that's where the problem is. So if the person that you're dating, right? especially the guy that you're dating, has no plans, no concrete plans. And I can't, if you want, you can go to soundcloud.com or iTunes and check out um, the Gospel in Lagos and look for single, what's the title? Maybe single in Lagos. Look out for the talk because there are certain things I think you can use to determine whether or not this person is single. Because when the person starts saying stuff like, ah, you know, it will be nice, it will be so nice to spend the rest of my life with you. He hasn't proposed. He has made you think that he's proposing, that he, he wants it, but he has not. And it's four years, and he's still saying that. So that's the kind of, when, when you start seeing a lack of purpose in your relationship, you start seeing lack of concrete steps to move into a particular direction. Yes, thank you. Lack of concrete steps to move into a particular direction. Then you start seeing that this person doesn't want to go there. That's a sign for you. I think you start giving ultimatums. And I can say that on full authority because my current wife gave me an ultimatum. Sorry. I, this is what he meant. The person who is currently my wife. That's, that's how he meant it. The person who is currently my wife. Yeah, that's still complicating it. It is? Because, yeah, it's my wife, my wife, my wife. My wife, my wife, my wife, my wife, my wife, my 
my, my current and only <laughs> wife, she gave me an ultimatum. And that was one of the best lessons I learned, right? She gave me an ultimatum, and that concretely moved our relationship. I use that word, concretely moved our relationship so much. So it's not really about the age. It's about the, mat the maturity of the person. And I want to put in Christian maturity of the person. As in, that's what you should be looking out for. That's the person that should be dating. And therefore, and he will show, it will show in the dating because the person is also moving somewhere, concretely. The person doesn't start telling you, until I build a house, until I do this. If you start hearing those kinds of things, again, the person isn't mature. If your relationship is, ex if you are living in the same city, you've been dating this person, and you guys are going, the same city, you live in the same city. You guys have been dating for more than three years. I think you have a problem. I'm serious. I think you have a problem. As in, you're adults, you are dating for more than three years. And still, there's no, it's more than three years, and you guys are not telling us here is the date. That's a problem. I honestly think it's a problem. What are you doing? What are you guys doing? You either, are you still trying to determine in three, so you're trying to determine whether this is the person I should marry. After three years of dating the person, no, break up with the person and then see whether or not. So that's what I, I mean. It's less about the age, um, but more about the spiritual, uh, the spiritual maturity of the person. And then if, if it's taking too long, I use city if you're in the same place. If it's long distance, sometimes it may take more time and all of those things. But honestly, I, I would say three years is always a good marker. Three years is always a good marker. There are some people, I think, even after two years, I don't know what you're still waiting for, really. Okay, we, we have one more here. Two more, but uh, we'll look at the time. Um, what's the meaning of this passage? Isaiah 4, verse 1, and I read. And seven women shall take hold of one man <laughs> on that day, saying... We will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. And then he goes down to explain. Some people consider this passage a sign of the end time. And being a single woman, a part of such a sign. What do you have to say? Mm. That, is, that is nice. And actually, if you connect it to 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul says that, you should be like him, unmarried. And he's saying this because of the current distress, the current distress, the <laughs> present time. If you connect the two, you can see how. Um, no, no, and I don't want to go too much into what that passage is. But the operative thing there is, is, is not to marry us. The, the reproach that they had is that they were not called by the name of his God. If you read that passage, it says they would grab on to him and they will say what? That, read it. We will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. Was it by your name or the name of the Lord? Our name. Your, your name, the person who they're grabbing. Man's name. <laughs> man's name. And seven women shall take hold of one man. <laughs> <laughs> You know, sometimes you hear some things and you say, ah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Ah, I see. Sorry. So really, 
no, I was, I was thinking of another part. I think it was Zachariah I was thinking of. So if you read chapter 3 here, so you have to read chapter 3 and chapter 4 together. But actually, you should read chapter 2. Okay, no. Read chapters 1 and 4. That then dovetails into a parable in chapter 5 that shows you exactly what God is talking about and what he's going to do with judgment. And then that leads to Isaiah's commission in chapter 6 when he encounters God and he says, whom shall I send? Send me. So then you see he's sent, he sent primarily to Israel. So chapter 3 tells us really about God's judgment on the people of Israel, right? Chapter 3 tells us about God's judgment on the people of Israel. Chapter 2 has shown us the promise of what God is going to eventually do in the last days. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be exalted above all other mountains. Meaning that when he says the mountain of the Lord's house, he was talking about the temple. So other nations had their own temples, and their temples were often built on high places. But he was saying that the God of Israel, the true God, because all the nations and the other religions' gods were false, the God of Israel, um, um, in the last day, the God of Israel will be seen as the true God. However, in Isaiah's time, that Israel and Judah had departed from that God. And so the day of the Lord was coming upon them, and that was going to bring judgment. It was going to have economic issues, uh, things on them. It was going to bring people to come and judge them. And part of that was that they would have killed a number of the men. Most of the time, it was the men that went into war. So the judgment of God was going to be that you would have more women than men. Do you understand? Yeah. If you read about these um, places, England, after the First World War and the Second World War, they had, they had a glut of women right? Because a lot of the men had died. And so women basically were chasing men. It was that way. And so when you see seven women saying, you should hope that uh, to the men, but we would, you know, take away our disgrace, you know, that marry us. Basically, they were saying, by being single in that time and day, right, women didn't have security. So they needed a man to affirm that. But it's a sign of the judgment of God upon Israel. Immediately after that, you then see God's solution to their judgment, but really, because Israel's judgment many times depicts the judgment of the world, the solution was God was going to send them a branch. That's, then you now see the branch of the Lord. And then the fulfillment of that branch we understand to be the person of Jesus Christ. So, if you're then saying that is what is going to be signified for the end times, first of all, we don't even know whether we're in the end times. We don't. It depends on what you call the end times. There are two ways of thinking of the end times. The end times started when Jesus poured out the Spirit, right? When Jesus poured out the Spirit, that's the end times. When Jesus rose again, the new, the new age has started the end times. But if you want to talk about the end of the end times, right? The end of the end times, say, ah, Femi, have you not seen that? The Bible says that there will be wars, there will be rumors of wars, I mean, there will be earthquakes. Let me ask you, is it in our time that wars have been first started happening? There have been wars that have been happening since the time of Jesus, all right? Is it our time that earthquakes and uh, natural disasters first started happening? No, right? And then that passage that you read, you know what it says after all of those things? You know what it says? After there will be wars, there will be rumors of wars, nations rise up against nations, I say Iraq and all of those ones. It then says, but the end is not yet come. It says the end is not yet come. Really, because the sign of the end is not the evil things that happen in the world. He then says, but this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all the world for a witness, and then the end shall come. 
You want to know the real sign of the end times? It's when the gospel of Christ is flourishing throughout the whole world. That's where you should be looking, not that. So, if you are just looking at the signs of judgment and you are trying to then use that to say, maybe in this place, seven women should be chasing me. <laughs> Augusta being a slacker, go and learn how to toast. That's what I'm saying. So I'm just saying all of that to say I don't think that's not what that passage is really pointing to. Um, we can, if, you are, if you like theology and Bible, see me someday, and I'll be able to explain some more. That's yeah, that's and certain other people should see you. If we haven't got a chance to read out your questions, you can also um, see Pastor Femi after this service. Um, thank you very much. Thank you. And I, we hope you've had a wonderful time. You've learned a lot. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church. Love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.